Many U.S. media outlets have published articles predicting large hikes in premiums for 2017 for health plans offered on the new insurance exchanges. Some commentators warn that escalating costs will seriously hurt consumers and spell the beginning of the end of Obamacare. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Benjamin Summers, an Assistant Professor of Health Policy and Economics at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Dr. Summers has written a perspective article about why the predictions of doom for the Affordable Care Act and its marketplace are unjustified. Dr. Summers, you note in your article that insurers that propose increases of more than 10% have to submit those requests to the state and federal government for review, and that increases can be reduced or blocked entirely. How does that review process work, and how are the results enforced? Well, this process is one of the features of the Affordable Care Act that is really designed to make sure that insurers are spending the bulk of their funds on actual health care and that the premiums are reasonable. And so under the rate review process, it varies to some extent by state, but essentially the regulators receive any of these premium increases that are proposed to be above 10% and they ask for a justification. The insurers have to provide information on their costs in the previous year if they have them, on their expected costs and any changes that they might have factored into their calculation. And then ultimately the state will decide whether or not the hike is appropriate. And if it's too much, we'll come back and negotiate what a reasonable rate increase would be. And what we know from 2015 is that the federal government reports that roughly 30% of consumers were in plans that had premium increases that had either been reduced or blocked during this process. So it's an important part of the overall process. And there's a lot to transpire between these original bids from the insurers and what consumers will actually see when they sign up for coverage at the end of the year. You argue in your article that the competition that's inherited in the structure of the exchanges will keep insurers from raising premiums much higher than their counterparts do. So what about regions where there's little or no competition? For instance, some of these areas where United Healthcare is pulling out of the exchanges. Yeah, it's certainly concerning when there are fewer insurers participating. And in some parts of the country, there's actually only one issuer. There's only one plan participating. And so certainly the competition is predicated on having multiple plans. The figures from the federal government have suggested the vast majority of consumers do have multiple options to pick from, and so that competition is still in play. But it, it, you know, it is certainly one factor that I think both state and federal policymakers are watching and would like to continue to foster uh, robust participation. But that, you know, taking that as it is, the competition that is in place in most parts of the country will help keep the numbers down. And so when you see an article that cherry picks the 60% premium proposal from one plan, if there are any other plans in that market, that is a hard premium hike to sustain because you would lose your market share if you're so far above what your competitors are doing. Most people who are buying their coverage on the exchanges get premium tax credits to help them pay for it. And you say that those tax credits are going to increase to absorb much of any cost increase in premiums. Could that additional government burden spur changes in the law or new approaches to controlling costs? Yeah. You know, one of the points that I I try to make in this perspective piece is not to say that premium increases aren't important. They are, but we have to interpret them appropriately. The first point that I'm making in the paper is simply that a lot of the premium quotes that we're seeing in the headlines today are not actually what will transpire down the road. But the other part of it is recognizing how much of that burden is borne by the consumers versus the government. And so because the ACA essentially pegs people's premium contribution if they qualify for credits, which over 80% of them do, it pegs it to a percentage of their income. And so what that means is that if the premium goes up but their income has stayed the same, the the percentage of their income they're going to spend on on their coverage is going to be basically the same. And so it increases the, the burden on the federal government, certainly an issue, but I think that that's a more accurate way to describe it for most circumstances rather than saying this is you know, going to place an unaffordable burden on millions of Americans. That's probably misleading in most cases. 
But looking at income, some experts have pointed out that the government subsidies are too small for Americans in some income ranges, especially around the 400% of the poverty level, which results in serious problems with affordability. What would you expect even small premium increases to look like for that population? Right. That's the group that that does get hit hardest by these increases in premiums because above 400% of the federal poverty level, there are no tax credits. And so uh, a family is paying the full premium out-of-pocket price. That's where, in most markets, the competition will be very helpful because people can go and compare products and decide, you know, which premiums they're willing to pay. And there are also the different levels of coverage that the marketplace makes available. The really generous platinum level all the way down through bronze plans, which are cheaper because they provide much less coverage. And families have to find the balance. There's certainly a broader conversation that we need to be having about the Affordable Care Act as to whether the law has balanced the budget versus affordability for consumers appropriately. You could make coverage a lot more affordable across the board if you threw more money into it. But the federal government, of course, is under budget constraints as well. And so the ACA walks a line that some might say went too far in the the direction of spending and others said that it wasn't generous enough. That's a reasonable conversation to be had. But it doesn't mean that the law as a whole is unraveling, as sometimes we're hearing in the alarmist rhetoric. And in fact, the growth in marketplace premiums to date has actually been slower than historical growth rates. So why is that? And is that likely to continue? Well, that's one of the other main points in the articles, which is we have to have historical perspective. Insurance premiums in the U.S. generally go up and often into double digits, in particular if you look at insurance that people get not through their employers, the so-called individual insurance market. And this market existed before the ACA. Far fewer people were in it, and it had a a bunch of other problems, including pre-existing condition exclusions. But the premiums there in the three years prior to the passage of the ACA increased on average by about 10% per year, according to one study. And in comparison, despite the predictions of these huge premium increases under the ACA, when all of the negotiations were said and done, the premium increases were well below that and actually close to zero in the first year and and under 4% in the second year. And so the premiums may very well go up by more than that this year, but probably not out of the realm of where we've seen historically, which is just an indication of the fact that healthcare gets more expensive over time, new technologies, new treatments, and prices also going up. Finally, do you have any predictions of your own for the ACA exchanges or the health plans that are offered on them? What do you foresee for them over the next few years? Well, this year is going to be a year of some adjustment because two parts of the ACA that were designed to smooth the transition of the marketplaces are phasing out, the risk corridors and the reinsurance, and that may drive the premium increases to be a bit bigger this year than they have been in prior years. But taking it as a whole, I think what we're seeing is that premium growth that has been a part of the market for a long time is continuing, but if anything, is slowed a little bit under the ACA. And meanwhile, the other parts of the law, the tax credits, the protections for pre-existing conditions, have brought 20 million people into coverage that didn't have it before. So I think the law has been a success on that front. And what I'm hopeful is that the longer the law has been in effect, that we'll start to see policymakers constructively talking about ways to improve it, rather than just taking a black or white perspective on, you know, this should be repealed or let's keep it exactly as is. The truth is most policies need to be improved, and the Affordable Care Act is no exception. Thank you, Dr. Summers.